Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talking Money, the answers you need without those nasty sales pitches, even the ones that you don't really know you're getting. So we're not here to do that. We're here to educate you on different types of financial planning techniques. Been doing it for a long time here on WGTK. And, we'll, uh, and we post them on TalkingMoneyRadio.com. So today uh, we're going to be talking about, and, meant, uh, and, and we've talked about this over the years, and we have the former recordings on Talking Money Radio that you can go to. But uh, as I remind you, last week we only go back six months now. So if there's a particular topic you want to hear more about, just send me an email and we'll forward you a link to some other uh, shows that I've done that I've talked about the same topic. But today we want to talk about beneficiaries. And one of the things I've been talking about on the promo this week was saying who is going to be the ultimate beneficiary. So I think you need to think beyond who is just going to be the beneficiary when I pass on. What is going to happen with that money? when that person that you're giving it to passes on. Now, we can't get total control and we can't say, well, yeah, I want to make sure that, you know, 50 years from now, unless you set it up and trust. So there are some ways to do it, uh, not without some extra cost. But, uh, and I'll go through some examples here today to have you think about where the, that money is going and how to do it. But first of all, we need to make sure we understand the beneficiaries. Uh, everybody, virtually everyone has a beneficiary designation and they may be the beneficiary named as beneficiary somewhere, but the beneficiary on whatever type product it's in is a contract in and of itself. So when you look at somebody's will or someone's trust, so we've seen many documents down through the years and looked at many financial plans over the years where the financial plan, the, the documents, the estate documents, boy, were they pretty. Some of them were way too thick. We've seen some living trust documents that had to be like two inches thick and they spiral bound notebooks. And who's going to pay attention to all that stuff? So fortunately, most of the attorneys that do living trust have them a lot shorter than that now. But I think before it was like an industry in and of itself and attorneys were making $5,000 for that book. And so fortunately, we don't see that very often anymore. But when you have all that document, but then you have the assets in the wrong ownership or you have the beneficiary incorrectly named. So the documents that have all these fancy things and where you want it to go or to save taxes or do whatever it is that your your tax attorney wanted you to do, if there's not follow-up, and you don't implement some of those strategies and you don't properly name beneficiaries and properly name ownerships, it may be all wasted money or mostly wasted money because it's not going to happen the way you want it to happen. So the beneficiary is going to bypass the trust and bypass the will. And you may have all this language in there, but if the money doesn't get there, how's it going to go like it, it's supposed to go? So I'd like to use the example if you have in your will – you have it stated that your children are going to get, uh, and this is very typical, 
the spouse is a primary beneficiary, and then we divide it equally between all my children. You say, I want my children to get the money over time. So maybe they'll get uh, have their expenses, their college and life expenses taken care of until they're 25, and then we'll distribute a third of it at 25. And then we'll distribute the half of what's left, which is essentially another third, when they're 30. And then I want the other, the, the balance of it to be distributed to them when I feel like they can handle the money the best. And for some children, that might not be ever. Some might be 60, 65, but typically it's 35. So the balance of it goes out at 35. And that's what your will states. Everything goes that way. But your your life insurance policy, your IRAs, and, and all those different contracts that have beneficiaries, they name your children outright, which is fine. That's what you, that's what you wanted to do. You wanted them to have it. So what's going to happen when when you die and the life insurance is about to be paid out and your your two children are beneficiaries of that life insurance policy? Is it going to be paid out to them all at once because that's what the life insurance beneficiary says? Or is it going to be paid out like your will says? Many people that I talk to say, well, it's going to be paid out like my will says. But that is not the case. So unless you have the beneficiary named as your estate or the trust, the trustee in your trust, then it's not going to happen. It's going to go directly to them. So this 18-year-old, this 21-year-old, this 24-year-old, 25-year-old, whatever, may get all the money all at once. So, and and it may not seem like a lot to you. Maybe they're going to get just a couple hundred thousand dollars. Some In some cases, in many cases, that it's going to be multi-millions of dollars that they're going to get all at once. So how how well will your children handle that money when they're 24 and 25, 30, 35? So you need to think through long-term, but you need to understand what the will does and the language it has in it versus what the beneficiary does. And the beneficiary is going to go typically, there are some exceptions to that, like a divorce spouse and things for life insurance. But, but for the most part, that's what you need to understand is how that works. So what types of contracts have beneficiaries? Well, we all understand life insurance. Life insurance has a beneficiary. We name our spouse. We name our children as as the contingent beneficiary. And we also need to name, and haven't talked about this for a while, but all these beneficiary designations need to be thinking of trying to add the Persterpes language to that document. And I've had the one attorney uh, legal document that I read some years ago that said per stripes. It was an attorney law firm down in the lower part of the state. Uh, I don't know if they'd misspelled it or that's just the way they thought it was spelled, but it was per stripes. But per stirpes, which typically means then that if one of your children predeceases you and they're not there when you die and you didn't change the beneficiary, you have your three kids listed equally and one of those children who has children died before you. If the three children are named as equal beneficiaries, all right, then that per capita, that means the two that are left are the two that split what's there because the other one's gone already. So if you want to make sure on these documents that your grandchildren, that you don't disinherit it, and I wrote a full, full blog on this. Uh, it's not a not a, a long one. It's only like a page and a half. Uh, you can get that on Talking Money Radio on the dot com on the resource page as well. I'm talking about disinheriting, inadvertently disinheriting your grandchildren, which is what you would have done if you just named the children and didn't put Persterpe's language on that document so that if one of those children, like you will, wills almost always say that. Virtually everyone I've seen will say it's to my three children Persterpe's, which means that their children, 
their heirs could be their grandchildren. They benefit. They receive what that child of yours would have received had they been alive. They weren't alive, so it's automatically going to pass on to their children. If you don't say that, then you've disinherited your grandchildren and didn't even know you did that because you just named your three children equally. Now, that's it, they, no harm done if one of your children predeceases you and you go back in there and change the beneficiary to your grandkids. Uh, and also keep in mind, this does not include a, a uh, in-law, so a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law. And, and most of you would say, yes, that's the way I want it. And some of you would say, no, I want my son-in-law, I want my daughter-in-law to have that money because I trust them and I know they're going to use the money to take care of the kids. They'll still be able to use the money to take care of the kids, but the money will be in the kid's name and the, the surviving spouse, the in-law, will take care of it for the children and hopefully get some professional help if they don't know what they're doing. So a, a lot of different um, avenues you've got to be thinking about, but purse derpies is, a, is an important one to think of when you're naming beneficiaries and people don't think about it on their life insurance or on their on their um, IRAs, 401ks, things like that. It's typically, the broker didn't even ask that question. But a lot of them are including that on their form now to add purse derpies. But, but hopefully the, the person you're buying that investment from will understand it enough to be able to ask you that question. So several different types of contracts where beneficiaries are used. We'll get back to those when we get back for the break. We'll be right back. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over $11 billion of assets under management and advisement and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, family office services, business consulting, and institutional client services. More information about Ronald Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. We're coming up at about 20 minutes after the hour. So we're talking about beneficiaries today, though. So we're talking about the types of contracts where beneficiaries are even used. So we talked about life insurance because that's one that most people understand. Yes, we have that. And don't forget to, to include the life insurance you may have as your employer. A lot of times people forget that. I've got the personal life insurance that I bought. I named beneficiaries in this, but I didn't change the beneficiaries or name them correctly at my workplace. Typically, it's a smaller policy, but sometimes not. And sometimes that's the only life insurance that we've seen people had. So you want to make sure you check those, uh, whether it's your work or your personal uh, life insurance. Um, IRAs is another thing people understand that has a, a named beneficiary. So you name beneficiary, you name a contingent beneficiary. And then, like I said before the break, then you want to make sure that if that contingent beneficiary, if those are your children and you have grandchildren from those children make sure you include that purse derpies language in that beneficiary document so that uh, you don't uh, accidentally inadvertently disinherit your grandchildren 
so IRAs, then your 401k, similar to the IRA, but it's uh, it's something you want to make sure that's named correctly. And there again, most people, spouse, then children. And you want to make sure that you keep those up to date as things change in your life. Annuities is another thing. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people selling annuities on this station. Uh, but that is one of the advantages they have is they avoid probate. So anytime, even though the the contract is the beneficiary the contract determines by beneficiary how those assets are going to be distributed not based on your will it's it's uh it's still uh something you need to make sure that you strongly uh consider that how is that going to happen if the uh the, and the annuities are one thing that is separate it avoids probate the beneficiaries avoid probate so that's a nice advantage of them, but that I don't think that outweighs the disadvantages many many times of an annuity. And, and it's, another thing that's interesting, I'll just throw this out. I've talked to hundreds of people over the years that have purchased annuities, and many of them will call, and my sister included, down in Florida. She called and said, "Hey, I'm this this guy in my church is trying is showing me this annuity, trying to sell me this. What do you think about it?" So those regular listeners who listen to Talking Money know what I think about it. Um, but uh, you just have to be very careful with what you buy with these. And I ask that question, what kind did you buy? And and I very rarely get an answer to that question, that they know what kind of annuity they bought. There are multiple different kinds. There are fixed annuities. There are variable annuities. There are uh, immediate annuities. And there are indexed annuities, which is what most of them are selling these days are indexed annuities. So I can, you know, I'm never going to lose money, but I'm, uh, I'm going to make, you know, a lot of the market upside if, if the market goes up and, and those, uh, are generally sold. Now we won't go into in a tangent on this today, but to, to me, most of them are sold incorrectly. If they were sold correctly, not as many of them would be sold. Uh, so, but they do have a name beneficiary and then you've got, um, uh, another, um, way to do a beneficiary that many people don't think of. We're seeing it more and more these days, but still a lot of people don't think about it. So you have a, a an after-tax brokerage account, just a regular brokerage account, or you have a, a bank account, you have a money market account, you have a checking account, you have different things, CDs at the banks. And and typically there's no beneficiary on those. You just own them outright, just like any other asset. I just own it outright. Well, the the if you then it'll go based on your will so it'll go directly to will so if you're trying to avoid probate and trying to avoid some of those steps in that process and i don't think necessarily avoiding a probate is a good thing but i think if you can avoid probate with most of your assets that's a good thing so you do a transfer on death or a payable on death beneficiary you tack that onto that account and the bank will know what you're talking about the brokerage account will know what you're talking about so look i want to i want to name a beneficiary on my non qualified money, my after-tax accounts, my brokerage account, my CD, my savings account, my money market account. I want to put a TOD transfer on death on that account. And then you name your beneficiary. So if it's in your name only, it could be in joint name and then goes to the children, but it's in your name only. Then it goes to your spouse and, or just goes directly to your children. And, and that's a, a good way to make sure that, especially if you have a child that's living, you're older, you have a child that's helping you with your financial planning and you're, and you're paying your bills and that kind of thing, and you name them on the account. You act, go to the bank and, and put them on your account. If you're not careful, you're going to name them as a joint owner. The bank should help you not do that 
there may be reasons to do it but if you have more than one child you want that money to go to then you don't want to have a joint ownership at the bank at the brokerage account with that son or daughter you you want to have them as a power of attorney on that account so they can access the account they can pay your bills from that account but they don't personally own that account with you if it's a joint ownership when you pass on then that child owns that property so if you just have power of attorney and then you put on a transfer on death or payable on death account or, or contract piece of paper with that uh, account, then the whatever the asset is will be distributed to the people you named as beneficiary on that transfer on death account, not, not go to the one child who happens to handle it. Now, I will recommend oftentimes for people like that, if this is the one child that is doing the most help for you, they're the ones who are helping you get to your doctor's appointments. They're the one helping you get your groceries. They're doing all these things for you. And the other kids are out of town. They're not doing anything for you. Well, then I would encourage you, yes, to take that account. And maybe that's the account that you help pay that person back, that one child back for all the work that they've helped you with. You have them as joint owner on that account and make sure you leave enough money in that account so that when you pass, they get that account. That's theirs. That's also an account you can use if they're joint owner. That's an account they can use to help pay final expenses that you may not have prepaid. Your funeral funeral home, the burial, the, the opening and closing of the grave, and all those kind of things that they, they bill you, charge you at your after your death. Um, and somebody has to have the money to do that. So if they're joint owner on your account and there's enough money in there, then they can just take care of all those expenses right there because they automatically own that account. They have access to it right off the bat. They don't have to wait any length of time. So that's where the transfer on death, payable on death um, is different than joint ownership. But they both have pros and cons. You just have to think through this, work through it with your advisor. Give me a call here at Talking Money. We'll talk through it. Uh, give me a call at the office and we'll talk through it. Uh, just and, and I won't charge you for those kind of conversations. I, I like to get information like that it's good radio material for future for future reference but those are all the types of contracts where typically beneficiaries are used annuities different types of annuities iras roth traditional doesn't matter what kind of of a um an ira it is a 401k could be roth or traditional life insurance and then the transfer on death uh, slash payable on death accounts those are all types of contracts where beneficiaries are used and and don't forget as we go to the break here in just a minute don't forget those bypass your will so no matter what your will says you where it says you want the money to go to or if if you want it given over time or if you have a trust that's supposed to name that child so they don't have access to the funds right off the bat and that they have to use it over their time frame and then it ought ultimately goes to a charity or to one of the other surviving children that uh, that's not going to happen if they're named as beneficiary that's going to go directly to that child at death at your death at your subsequent and you and your spouse's death a lot of things you need to think about and we think of beneficiaries as being oh that's just a simple thing well it's not necessarily a simple thing so we get back for the break you know who should you name as your beneficiary be beware of your estate we got some definitely some things you want to pay attention to as you're naming that beneficiary to who the ultimate beneficiary of your assets will be we'll be right back after this short break Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. 
the company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth Advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. Coming up at about 25 minutes before the hour here on Talking Money, this is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. Uh, talking about beneficiaries today and talking about how to make sure you consider the different things that you need to consider to be sure that your money goes where you want it to go. So I had a question. I didn't I was able to check my uh, emails during the break there and got a question through the mic at talkingmoneyradio.com from, from, we'll say, I called him H before because he's asked questions before. Uh, we'll call him HW today. He'll know who I'm talking about. He His question was that he sent to me was, well, explain probate. And I forget sometimes that a lot of people don't understand even what that process is. We're talking about avoiding probate. Well, what am I avoiding? Well, any assets that are not um, set up so that they would avoid probate, like the beneficiary designations, even a will, if, if your regular asset goes through your will, it's going to be probated. And all that typically means is you go to the probate office and you show them proof that you're the one that's supposed to handle this estate. So you show them a copy of the will, you show them a copy of the trust, whatever. And they file all that information. And then there's a process that they go through to make sure there's no creditors out there that need to make a claim on the estate. And there's, there's time frames for that kind of thing. And so you can um, then go to probate. And you need to, you're required to go to probate for that case because then you want to get some documents that, that allow you then to go to, let's say, the bank where that your spouse or your, let's say, your mother and father had an account at the bank, it's in their name, it's in both their names, they're deceased now. Well, how do you get that money? Well, you'd get that money by going through the probate court and getting the proper documentation to come back to the bank to say, okay, here, I am authorized by the court to be able to take this money out. And then the court essentially looks over your shoulder to make sure that the assets that are named in your will get to where you say you wanted them to go based on your will document. So in many cases, I think it's always that possibility that the probate process is a good thing. And it's it, there's a cost to it, but especially in South Carolina and Georgia, I think even North Carolina, it's pretty small fees for, for doing probate, but it helps somebody else looking over the shoulder of that personal representative to make sure they're doing the right kinds of things. You have to put together an inventory. You have to show where the money goes, where it's supposed to go, and you have to make the right person to do those kinds of things. That's what uh, probate's all about. So it's just really a, a process of making sure the money gets from the deceased person's name to whomever's name that they wanted it to be in. The, the will says it's going to go to my kids. Okay, who's in charge of that? Who's the personal representative? Who's going to make sure that gets done? Well, the probate office helps you get those things done. So it's um, 
it's not necessarily a bad thing like i said before no we've had i've had deborah Faulkner on the show multiple times i've not had her on the last six months so we don't have anything on the on talkingmoneyradio.com that's that has that but if you're interested in some of those you can always send me that email to mike at talkingmoneyradio.com and we will get you um, a link to some of this time she was on and it's it is time for me to to give deborah a call we tried earlier this year but uh, she had some family issues that she had to deal with so i couldn't get her back on later this summer so i'll have to reach out to her again and see if some of those have resolved and we can get back on the air. So she loves being on the radio. We love having her on Talking Money. And it's very nice to get the probate judge on so that you can actually ask the person who in the know about probate uh, and how it works and, and what some of the drawbacks are and, and what some of the unique things are happening in probate. We can get it firsthand from from the judge. So here comes the judge. It's eventually here comes the judge. And I forget what uh, what comedy act that was on before, but it was something, uh, here come the judge. Uh, anyway, I digress. So uh, on beneficiaries, so who should you name as beneficiary? Typically, you name if if it's um, you, you're married, you have kids, you name your spouse primary and your kids as contingent and and divide it equally. Uh, I would I would uh, caution you if you name if it's a retirement type asset, if it's your 401k, if it's your IRA, be very very careful. In most cases, I would say never name your estate as the beneficiary of your IRA. Now, it's not as big of a deal as it used to be since they changed the rules. It used to be that you could a child could stretch that IRA out over their lifetime. Well, no, they can't do that. They have to have it paid out in 10 years. But the uh, estate has to pay out within five years. So it, it does double the amount of time that you can take that money out and hopefully spread the tax liability out over a long period of time. So be very, very careful naming your estate as the beneficiary of an IRA. Uh, of course, Roth doesn't matter as much because it's tax-free, so we don't worry as much about that. But we do concern about traditional IRAs and traditional 401ks. Um, so if you have no children, and this is, it does get a little trickier. It's it's fairly easy for people to say that I'm if I'm married and I have children, I'm just going to give it to them and I'm done. Um, and we'll talk about how you might treat children differently in just a minute. But what if, you don't, what if you don't have children? So you'll name siblings. Some people will name parents. Some people will name their nieces and nephews. I've had uh, quite a few conversations over the years with people who, who fall in those situations. And there are some unique um, uh, thoughts that you need to be aware of, be thinking through before you just name somebody that way. So let's think about the children for a minute. Uh, Ron Blue in his book, Splitting Errors, and it's spelled H-E-I-R-S, Splitting Errors. He has a lot of helpful information in there. You can get that on Amazon, Splitting Errors by Ron Blue, the, the founder of our firm. And one of the things he says, I don't know if I have it quoted exactly, but something like, love your children equally, but treat them uniquely because uh, they have different needs. So a lot of people that I've counseled over the years have had children. And I was talking to a couple of gentlemen this week that were not clients and talk about the same concept. Yep, this happens. So we have children that we might help out more while they're, while we're alive. They have legal issues. So we need to, we, we help pay for the attorney's fees, um, custody battles, 
I want to help my child with their custody battle because I want my child to be the one that has access that has custody of my grandchildren. So you'll you'll pay for the lawyer's fees as there's divorce happening through there, and you want to make sure that you help them. So you may have helped them with that. You have some children that just aren't very responsible, and they spend the money faster than they can get it. And they never get it. And other children that it's sticky and that you they don't spend money on on anything. Well, both of those have negatives to them. But the, I think it's worse to have the ones that say, I'm just, I, I, I spend my money faster than it comes in. I never save anything. And then when emergencies come up, other things happen. They, they get in trouble. They lose a job. They weren't planning on losing that job. Now they're out of a job for three months. Well, you're not going to kick them out on the street. Maybe you bring them back to your house or you just and pay them something per month so they don't come back to your house. I'd rather pay you money and have you stay there than have you come into my house. Uh, that happens. So uh, uh, people have, different reasons why they've helped their children while they're alive and they're alive and their children are alive. Uh, so that when it comes time to settle the estate, you say, well, I don't really want to divide this equally. I want to make sure that the child that I haven't spent money and has been less trouble for me financially to get more of the estate. So there are different ways you can, can work that out. And one of the simple ways, of course, is just to name the beneficiaries on your retirement assets just re- name them differently. Uh, we've had some people that have done uh, a a lump sum. So they say in their will, they say, I want this child to get 50000 before anything split. And then we'll split it equally after that. They come up with a number they think is reasonable to, to essentially help pay back the child who didn't get the money while they were alive and to help make sure that they equalize the estate. They say, I'm just going to give you that 50000 is an outright cash gift out of my estate and then, and then we'll split evenly. But you need to be thinking about how uh, that money should be split. And don't just say, I'm going to split it evenly, uh, especially when a child has difficulty. Now, there's, there's a, a, a uh, school of thought that would say, look, I don't care about that. I, I know they, they're going to blow it. I'm going to give them their share. And if they blow it, they just blow it. It's, it's their problem. Um, but if you, and there's other school of thought that says, no, I'm going to protect that child against themselves. So I'm going to put their share inside a trust and I want them to get their money over some length of time and maybe monthly, yearly for the rest of their life. And then whatever's left over goes to the uh, other child and, or goes to the grandchildren or goes to a ministry. You can give it to your church, give it to some other charity. You can do that with it as well. It doesn't have to go to the children. Uh, so you need to always be asking that question, well, how much is enough? So a lot of people listening don't have that issue, like how much is enough? I mean, we want to make sure we give them all we have is not too much because that's the second question, how much is too much? And if it's too much for them, you're a wealthier person, you say, well, I don't, I don't want to give them $3 million. I don't want to give them $5 million, $10 million, whatever it is in your estate, $50 million, because it's going to ruin them. And then that's when a, a setting up a trust for that uh, situation is is very helpful. So when we get back to the break, I want to talk some more about uh, you name a a brother, a sibling, or a niece or nephew, uh, especially talk about a, a sibling, and then think about where the money will go after that person passes away. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. One division is Everyday Steward, which serves clients who are just getting started to those with an investable net worth ranging from $100,000 up to a million. 
For those desiring objective, biblical principles in their investments, cash flow management, financial planning, which includes retirement, insurance, tax, and estate, and their giving, Ronald Boot Trust's Everyday Steward Advisors can serve as their clients' stewardship coaches so they can focus on a living a life of purpose. For more information about Everyday Steward and the other divisions of Ronald Blue Trust, they can be found at ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. we got about 11 minutes here left in Talking Money. Last chance to get that question in, of course, uh, those who want to get their questions in can always send them to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. We'll get those questions uh, later and answer them uh, during the week or we'll answer them in a future Talking Money program. So this hour always goes fast for me. So I've, I um, I guess this is a good thing when I, I make an outline. So I've got about a half page of notes here that I'm using to, to talk today. And as I talk about certain topics, then I remember certain things. Like I didn't have purse turpies listed on my notes. But as I'm talking to beneficiaries, I remember, okay, yes, that's important. We want to talk about purse turpies. So a lot of different things that come up and it makes my, my notes usually go a lot longer. So sometimes my one week's worth of note turns into two, two talking monies. But today we're talking beneficiaries. And if you, for some reason, did not hear the first part of this program, very important to have to hear what we've talked about up to this point before you even listen to the next uh, nine or 10 minutes, you want to go to talkingmoneyradio.com. We'll post this program probably by Wednesday or so of next week, and you'll be able to listen to it as as much as you want. Any, any place you can listen, almost any place you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to that on um, the, the Talking Money because we have those uh, posted there as well. And we posted the link and we posted to Facebook and those kind of things as well. Um, so the, before the break, talking about it, you don't have children and you name a sibling, you name a child, a, a niece or nephew, somebody like that, or you want to name ministry. So I know of several people over the years who've, who've had several of their brothers and sisters and they would name them. And then they might name a few uh, ministries as the beneficiary as well and divide it up, let's say, you know, 10 different ways. And that's fine. That's, that's easy to do. But think about this. Let's say one of your um, siblings, and it's, this would apply to all of them, but this happens frequently. Let's say one of the siblings uh, is going to get their share. And um, so you, you find out, okay, well, this person happens to be, um, you know, a, a diehard USC fan and you're a Clemson fan. <laughs> and you know that the money that they give, if you give them uh, a tenth of your estate or a tenth of your IRA, then that money's going to go when they die because they don't need your money. They, they have enough money to, to take care of their own living expenses, their own medical expenses. When they die, they're going to pass it on to USC. They say, whoa, I don't want to do that. I want it to go to Clemson. Well, then you better not give any money to that particular sibling. So it's it's um, may look cruel uh, because, it, well, I want to give them some money to show them I, I appreciate them and I, I love them and I think about them. And so forth, and uh, and uh, so my answer to that would be, well, well, send them a note. They probably would appreciate a note more than the money. They don't need the money. Uh, they they may be, you know, you're in your eighties, nineties. They're in their eighties and nineties. That you know, the the money really probably doesn't mean as much to them as a note that you would be able to write to them to say how much you appreciated what they've done for you and and bring maybe even write down some memories that you had as you were growing up. There were fond memories that you had, something like that. 
But so you need to consider, and even if it's a, let's say you're a younger person and you name your parents as beneficiaries. Okay, that's fine. So your parents are more than likely going to die before you. Uh, if you don't change your beneficiary and, and, and you die before them, but if, if that doesn't happen and you die before them, and which is why you name the beneficiary, the money goes to them. And then they're going to die, let's say, not too long after you did, uh, presumably, uh, actuarially. Uh, where is that money going to go? Well, maybe it's going to go back to your brothers and sisters. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's going to go someplace else you don't want to go. So if you really want the money to go to your brothers and sisters, well, that's a way to do it because then you're helping your mom and dad out if they need the money. And then whatever's left over goes to your brothers and sisters. Or you just name your brothers and sisters right off. And depending on their financial situations, I would encourage you to think about some cause that you are passionate about. And hopefully you're passionate about some kind of cause. Uh, it's your church. It's Miracle Hill. It's it's Homes of Hope. It's child evangelism. It's something that you want to, um, to, to support when you are gone, cancer research or whatever it is. So go ahead and name as, as part of your beneficiaries that organization directly instead of having to go to a parent and then it maybe not go where you want it to go. And so and as a reminder, one of the best, best places for you to give money to at uh, an organization after you're gone is through your beneficiary designations of your IRAs, traditional IRAs, not the Roths, but the ones that are taxable. So let's say, for instance, in your will, you say you wanted to give oh, $10,000 to um, to XYZ. Uh, let's, we'll just use Miracle Hill. $10,000 to Miracle Hill. And then your, so your children get $10,000 less of those assets, but they get all of the IRA. So more efficiently would be to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take part of my IRA. I'm going to set up a new IRA. I can still, I'm going to transfer $10,000 or whatever you want to that IRA. And it could grow from there and that's fine. Uh, but you know that $10,000 is there and you're not going to take money out of it unless you start having to take it out at age 72 for your required minimum distribution. And then you have to kind of think through how much is it going down because they take the money out versus how much it's earning and so forth. You could even invest that one more aggressively because it's, you, you don't think you're going to need it. I'm, I'm just giving that money to that organization. So when they get the money, because they're a 501c3 organization, they don't pay any taxes on it. So instead of giving them the, the money through the will, I'm going to give the money through my IRA, which gives $10,000 more of after-tax money that's in my will to my children. So net more money goes to my children because I used my IRA to make my gifts to the ministry. And it's, it's something we recommend a lot. You can have as many different ones as you want. You may take a certain amount of money out and set up a new IRA. You don't have to set up a new IRA, but if you want to just kind of keep them straight, it's not a bad idea. You put a separate IRA. You say, I'm going to take 100000 of my million. I'm going to put this into a separate IRA. That's what I want to gift. And so then you name three, four, five different ministries or charities in that IRA as either the primary or the contingent. If you if you think your spouse may still need that money, you name your spouse as the, the primary still and the ministries and the charities as the contingent beneficiary in there. So, and that, that reminds me also of, a, of another caution. So many people have uh, second marriages, third marriages, but they have, and, and both have children from their previous marriages, maybe they even have children from their current marriage. 
and so you might have a situation where you say, okay, I've got my IRA. And let's say both spouses have half a million dollars in their IRA. So each of them name each other as the primary spouse because they want to make sure their, their new spouse is still taken care of. But then each of them leave their own children as a beneficiary of each of their respective IRAs. So the intent is that whenever one, whenever the subsequent spouse dies, that the rest of the money in that IRA will then go to their each respective children. And so they've, they've equalized their estate that way. The problem with that is it's not required. Uh, so if uh, a surviving spouse remarries, so now we have a new spouse in the picture, and they decide, well, I want to name this spouse as, as primary beneficiary, and their children or your children could get left out of that. So there has to be some a high level of trust when you're talking about naming your spouse as beneficiary. I say especially if it's a, a second or third spouse or it's not your first one and, and, you, and you're concerned about the money going to your own children, the surviving spouse does not have to name. And I've seen this happen before where the spouse died and the surviving spouse took the IRA that was there and renamed the beneficiaries to their own family. And so the, the children of the, the spouse that died essentially got disinherited. Perfectly legal, nothing wrong with doing that from a legal standpoint. Ethically, I think it's very wrong and they should not have done that. But And then the other question is, or the other thing they could do is we have both IRAs and they would say, well, the money that I need, I'm going to take out of his IRA. <laughs> and he passed away. His money's going to his kids. So if I need extra money, I'm going to take it out of his IRA. So his, his might not be equal anymore. So that's another thing that, oh, how do you take care of that? Well, you're going to have to set up some kind of a conduit IRA trust, something that, that allows the surviving spouse to have full access to it or, or, or have restricted access to it so they can get just income from it. Maybe maybe get an extra five percent if they need it for their health, maintenance, welfare, that kind of thing. But the ultimate beneficiary is anybody whoever you named, so that the because the ultimate beneficiary is the one you want to consider making sure that that's going to go as much as you can, going to go to the the people or the organization that you want it to go to, and also where you're living. In our minute or so left here, don't forget that qualified charitable distribution because the the benefits are great. That's still age seven and a half that you can give money right now. I'd, anybody that's seven and a half listening, give any 501c3 contribution that you want to make, give it from your IRA. Now, if it's five bucks, 10 bucks, no. But any regular contribution, anything that you're giving there, give it. It may not be a tax benefit to you, but it's not going to hurt you. You tell the organization, the the broker that, you, that you're with, Schwab, Fidelity, whatever it is, they say, look, I want this contribution to go to this particular organization. It'll be a qualified charitable distribution from your IRA, and it won't show up as adjusted gross income, and you'll actually be able to tax deduct it, essentially, because it's not showing up as taxable income. And if you just try to give it, you're probably not going to be tax deduction deducting it because the standard deduction is too high. All right, I'm out of time. Got 10 seconds left. So glad you're listening to me. If you got a question for me, 800-588-7526. Have a great week.